0: So today is session six, uh, as James said, uh, of our series. And we're going to continue this story through the Bible this morning. And importantly, in this session, actually, we're going to be considering the coming of the Holy Spirit and how then, through the Spirit, and how uh, through the Spirit, God comes to satisfy our human need, our human thirst, our desire, if you will, Uh, Firstly and importantly, of course, for a relationship with him, but then also for our relationships and friendships more broadly within the wider community. And this is an important part of the story, of course, because it's effectively where we, where you and I, uh, enter into the story. So let's just have a prayer together before we start. So Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning that you will take my words and that you will use them in some mysterious way to fulfil your purpose for me and for each one of us here this morning. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Reverend Dave Smith, who's the vicar of Kingsgate Church in Peterborough and who has contributed to this Bible series in quite a big way, puts it this way uh, when he says that when we think about human thirst, uh, the very first thing we did probably when we entered this life, he says, was to make a sound like this. Wah! Probably more than once, actually. And this, he says, was not just a cry of physical thirst, to have a physical need satisfied, but in fact, psychologists, he says, tell us that right from the start, from the moment we're born, we're searching for relational connections with others. So that cry is not just, he says, if you will, for feeding physically, but it's for love, comfort, and a connection. Uh, Just as an aside, apparently, or so I'm told, when I was born, one of my sisters, who was only five years old at the time, said to our mother, well, he seems nice, but do we have to keep him? (laughs) A little bit of sibling rivalry there right from the start. Anyway, um, we get on fine now. But, of course, that desire, that need for a relationship doesn't really go away when we start to grow up, does it? It remains integral to us as human beings. Firstly, then, this morning, I just want to think for a moment about our need, then, our thirst for a relationship and a friendship with God, which, of course, was enabled uh, for us by what Jesus has done and what the Holy Spirit, of course, continues to do for us in our lives. But of course, from the very beginning, from the creation story itself, God has been present, hasn't he? And amazingly, has wanted a relationship with us, his creation. Right from the start, from the time of the Garden of Eden, through the story of Exodus and beyond, we just see God being there and wanting this relationship with us as humans. And we read, actually, don't we, in the, in the book of Exodus, God promised, in fact, that he would come and dwell with his people. But yet, we know only too well, don't we? Because of this problem of sin in the world, there was this distance created, a distance between this awesome holy God and between us, sinful human beings. And so, although God was always present, there was this sense, wasn't there, of a gap between us and this holy God. But as we know, of course, this awesome holy God was not prepared to leave our relationship in that state. So he did something about it. God took steps to resolve the problem, basically because we couldn't. So God, of course, sent his son Jesus to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And in the first uh, chapter of John's Gospel, actually, John captures the idea in a sort of an iconic phrase, doesn't he? The word became flesh And made his dwelling among us. Or or as the message version puts it. The word became flesh and blood. And moved into the neighbourhood. I love that. Emmanuel is our way to experience God up close and personal. He came in human form. And through the coming to earth of Jesus. His disciples here that we read about really throughout all of the gospels. Could now communicate with a God who they could see and know and converse with. And as a result, of course, we know Jesus literally changed the lives of huge numbers of people, including, of course, those of his closest disciples. So let's just look more, spe- more specifically, just for a moment, at those uh, words from Acts chapter 2, where we read about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And firstly, particularly, those verses 2 to 4. Well, in actual fact, before that, in verse 1, Luke tells us, actually, that they were all together together in one place and then we read in in verse 2 suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting so suddenly we're told suddenly it seems God comes God works the Spirit of God breaks through into the lives of these followers of Jesus and life is never the same again for them. It's amazing, isn't it, what God did, and still does for that matter, in the middle of community. I don't think it was by accident that the disciples of Jesus were all together in one place, there in that house on that particular evening. And God, I think, is calling us today too to be a community like that, isn't he? Because when the community gathers, not unlike we are doing so this morning, Who knows what God might do among us? But it's possible, I suppose, that as we gather this morning here, some of us are a little overwhelmed, perhaps, by things that are going on in our lives at the moment. Maybe we're frustrated by things that are changing in our lives or or disappointments we've had to suffer recently, maybe. If so, and perhaps inevitably then, maybe we're focusing more on ourselves rather than on God or on others this morning. But nonetheless, we're still the community of God gathered here. And maybe suddenly for us too, the spirit of God will move in this place again and things will change. Here in Acts chapter 2 anyway, the disciples are gathered together too as well, aren't they? And the spirit of God, we're told, moved among them. And this was demonstrably visible to them because they saw God's spirit, we're told, like tongues of fire. Actually, the work of fire in the Gospels is often about purification, isn't it? And so maybe Luke wants us to know that part of the coming of the Holy Spirit is to purify us. The Holy Spirit refines us in the fire, doesn't he? And readies us. Of course, the nature of fire is not only to refine or to purify, but also to consume or to burn things away. God's Spirit in the life of this small community of followers here in Jerusalem then, perhaps was to strip away all that was unnecessary. That The Spirit refined them so that they would be ready to do what it was the Spirit of God was going to lead them to do. And what they were going to do would change the world around them and beyond. In the previous chapter, actually, chapter 1 of Acts, in in verse 8, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Andrew Ollerton, actually, in his book, um, which accompanies this series, wrote this when he was referring to Jesus' disciples, really, and he said this, Having reversed defeat and conquered death, no doubt they expected the Messiah himself to dismantle his rivals, establish his kingdom, and convert the world within a few months. Meanwhile, they would carry Jesus' bags and hold back the adoring fans. So imagine their shock when the Messiah turned around and said, in effect, well, chaps, my work here is done. Now it's over to you. You know, the Bible story has many surprising twists and turns, doesn't it? But arguably, you could say this is one of the best of them. Of course, just as Jesus was talking to his disciples there in first century Jerusalem, he's still asking the same of us today too, isn't he, in 21st century Guernsey. Ollerton went on in his book to say this, but how is that possible, I hear you ask? How can flawed people like us pick up where the Messiah left off? It's one thing to watch Johnny Wilkinson play rugby. It's quite another to be substituted onto the pitch to pay in his position. I admire Usain Bolt, but I can't run like him. I listen to Pavarotti, but I can't sing like him. I enjoy reading Shakespeare, but I can't write like him. I can worship Jesus, but I can't minister like him, surely. Olesen went on to say, though, But to cut a long story short, they, the early Christians, went off and did it. A small community of Jesus' followers stepped into the Messiah's sandals and expanded his ministry on a global scale. And today the story continues. Jesus' followers all over the world, he says, provide practical help and spiritual hope on a staggering scale. And as I say, we are now part, aren't we, of that story too, of course. Back in Acts chapter 2 then, after the tongues of fire rested on each of them, we're told, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to note that not just some of them were filled, but all of them were filled. As God, if you like, sought to begin and create this new expression of life. He left no one on the sidelines they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and it's a consistent theme isn't it throughout the Gospels the concept that God invites everyone to the table but the image of filling something or someone of course isn't much use if what you've been filled with isn't then used or poured out in some way For example, if I was to fill a big jug of water with water and didn't pour any of it out so that my thirsty guests could drink it, it wouldn't really be of any use. When I fill my car with petrol, which I do as little as possible at the moment for obvious reasons, it's so that the petrol will be used to power the engine of my car. So we are filled with the Holy Spirit specifically for a reason, other than simply to remain full, of course. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 15 says this, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. No, Paul didn't say so that you can remain full or so that you won't spill any of it. He said Overflow. God filled the disciples on that day of Pentecost and there was a purpose for the filling of the Spirit that they received and if they hadn't fulfilled that purpose, well quite possibly none of us would be perhaps sitting in this place today. So then these few verses at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 implies that the work of God's Spirit is to fill us. But of course we can't be filled if we are already full of other stuff that shouldn't be there. Perhaps one reason that God could fill the disciples that day of Pentecost was that they were together in one place as a community of people who had emptied themselves. Emptied themselves of their fear, uh, of their misgivings, of their disappointments, of their presumptions, of their anger, of their self-importance so that there was, no room, there was now room in their lives to be filled with what mattered most, God's Holy Spirit. And is God's Spirit, I wonder, this morning, seeking us out in order that we might empty ourselves of the other stuff that shouldn't be there, and by doing so enable us to be filled with his hope and his joy and his peace? Filled so that we will be able to overflow ourselves with the fruits of the Spirit. Of course, to live this Spirit-filled life means we have to allow ourselves to be controlled by the Spirit. To keep in step with the Spirit, as Paul again reminds us in Galatians. Actually, I spoke about this recently in a a past sermon a, a few months ago. I'm sure you all remember that well. But to paraphrase again the Reverend Dave Smith... He reminds us how important it is for us to get our steps in step with his steps, as it were. Because sometimes we might find ourselves trying to run ahead of the Spirit, he says. Or on the other hand, we might be finding ourselves lagging behind the Spirit, neither of which are really helpful. It's important for us, he says, to sensitize ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to find out, if you will, what he wants, what he likes. For instance, he likes it when we love each other or forgive each other. He doesn't like it if there's gossip or slander or if there's any kind of impurity. And of course, as followers of Jesus, we should want to please the Holy Spirit. And again, as I said in that previous sermon a while ago, remember we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit by what we do or don't do or say or don't say. But as we get closer to the Holy Spirit, the more this deep thirst, if you will, this deep longing for meaning and relationship with God is satisfied. And as a result, then, we can have, of course, this deeper relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. But as we read the Bible, we see and realise that not only do we vitally need, of course, this relationship, this friendship with God, but we do also have a relational need for community with others actually we see in Genesis chapter 2 don't we God saying it's not good for the man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for him some of us will have been blessed to have the support of a loving spouse I know I have I have to say that because she sat just over there no no it's true it's true but whatever our situation, maybe um, you have only had that kind of love and support from a close family member, I don't know. Or maybe we're simply part of a loving and supportive community, the, the family of believers in Christ. Actually, just to digress for a moment, that reminds me of a, a poignant story, actually, which I read a while back. And a, a woman's husband had been slipping in and out of a coma uh, for several months, yet she stayed by his bedside every single day. One day, uh, when he came to from his coma, he motioned to her to come nearer. As she sat by him, he whispered to her, his eyes full of tears, You know, I've been thinking, you've been with me through the bad times. When I got fired, you were there to support me. But then when my business failed, you were there. Even when we lost the house, you stayed right with me. And when my health has started failing, You were still by my side. So I I need to tell you, the husband said quietly. What dear, his wife gently asked, smiling as her heart began to fill with warmth. I think, to be honest, the husband said, you've been a bit of a jinx. (laughs) Again, I just like to make clear that's not my experience before my wife tells me off. Seriously, we need friendships. We need relationships, don't we? With others, because for one thing these relationships have many benefits for all of us and in fact we know that social isolation can have quite the opposite effect. A New York Times article reported that individuals with less social connection have disrupted sleep patterns, altered immune systems, more inflammation and higher levels of stress hormones. I think I have all of those things, actually, but anyway. And they went on, they went on to say, all told, loneliness is as important a risk factor for early death as obesity and smoking. My advice, get some friends quickly. But when we look at those few verses, 42 onwards in Acts chapter 2 then, we see what effect the relationship with the Holy Spirit had on these members of this new community of believers, this early church. And for that matter, how Countercultural it was at the time for them to behave like this remember they lived in a society that had rich people and poor people slaves were commonplace where men were deemed more important than women where children were sometimes simply considered as chattel but what do we see what do we read in verse 42 here they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer Do you know, perhaps we need to be inspired by this verse again. I know I do. Note that they were devoted to the community, the fellowship. Because just as they experienced this loving loyalty from God through Jesus, so they were able, through the Spirit, to live out a loving loyalty to others. They were generous towards each other. Verse 44 onwards here says, All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And I think those verses should be a challenge to us. And at the risk of being a little controversial perhaps this morning, but note here it says they cared for and loved one another and they didn't do this out of a simple feeling of duty because it says they were sincere. They did this with glad hearts. There was no hypocrisy present. The Reverend David Bracefield, who is of course well known to us all here at Trinity, says this in his book, Are We Nearly There Yet? He says... A church that has compromised on relationships because it is obsessed with its own survival and well-being has little to offer to a society where aggression, blame and a desire to be top of the pile are the prevailing marks, but marks which often mask an underlying longing for love and relationship. He goes on to say, So the call is to discover love again on all levels, Love for Christ, love between believers and love for those who do not believe. We need, he says, churches that do not compromise on love. Do we perhaps have to be careful then within the family of believers? And and, and that includes, of course, our own church fellowship here at Trinity too. Not to develop cliques or factions uh, within it. We can't be seen to be ignoring each other in any way, can we? Because at best, this can be a disruptive thing. Or even at its worst, actually, it can be destructive to our fellowship together. How can we be seen to be being sincere by those outside of the fellowship of believers if we aren't seen as being sincere amongst ourselves within it? Of course, the wonderful thing uh, about community of believers should be that we don't have to pretend with one another. Quite the opposite, in fact. We can be vulnerable with each other so that we can experience and share real community together. Maybe we all need to be more proactive, then, as individuals. For example, in reaching out, perhaps, to others for help within our community of believers here at Trinity. Now, it might look and feel very differently for some, to be fair, Not everyone will find this easy to do. In fact, for me personally, because my sort of underlying personality trait or makeup is being something of an introvert, uh, and despite strangely being able to happily stand up in front of a congregation and deliver a sermon of sorts, uh, I find it so much more difficult to communicate and create meaningful relationships on a one-to-one basis. I've always been like that. And that's something with the Spirit's help I need to work on and develop for myself. But maybe we do do this by engaging more, particularly perhaps with a mentor, a trusted friend, a confidant, maybe a prayer partner, or someone from within a community home group during the week if we go to one. Simply asking others to input into our lives is important. The Reverend Dave Smith again says, to seek help and guidance from others is not a weakness, but is a sign of wisdom, But, of course, the other side of that coin is that we need to be conscious, too, of others who are in need of help themselves. And we need to be prayerful about how we can perhaps support them if we're able to do that. Perhaps by maybe simply reaching out and asking on occasion how they are. Um, And asking if there's anything that we could be praying for them or with them about. Because the Holy Spirit will often put people on our hearts, won't he? And we need to respond to that prodding. But if we're able to, we need to be proactive for not only asking for help, but also in giving help to our other brothers and sisters within the community of Christ. We know, of course, that the early church suffered severe persecution. And by Acts chapter 8, we read that they were forced to scatter to avoid that persecution. But it was then, actually, that the church began to really grow. And it's so often the case, isn't it, in times of difficulty, that we see God powerfully at work within his, with his spirit. Today, of course, and I'm generalising now, very much so, but perhaps our problems are more to do with having too much, too, too much comfort, too much complacency, too much wealth. Whatever our own financial circumstances are, and I know they will all be very different, but here in the West we are nonetheless in the top wealthiest 5% of the whole world's population. Just think about that for a moment. And if you recall John mentioning in his his first sermon in this series a few weeks ago, he said that the Bible on occasion can also be a rebuke for us. And perhaps to be a little controversial, if I may, once more this morning, I know one day that I will have to account before the Father for what I did with the blessings he gave me with the time that he gave me, with the talents uh, he gave me, such as they are, and particularly, perhaps, what I did with the money he gave me. I don't consider myself necessarily financially wealthy, actually, in Western terms, but, of course, everything is relative. To a poverty-stricken person in what we term the third world, I live like a king. Perhaps we need to think carefully, therefore, about how we spend our time how we use our God-given gifts, and how we perhaps lavish, in some instances, the financial wealth God has given us, more on ourselves than on perhaps on others, perhaps in the houses we live in or or we aspire to, or or the cars we drive, or, or the holidays we go on. Because as it may well be the case for me, perhaps for many others of us, that just might turn out to be a difficult conversation with our Father one day. And maybe particularly in this time of economic gloom for many, and let's face it, there is a lot of gloom around at the moment. Uh, I don't know, we're not Trostonomics, we're Huntonomics, maybe next week we will be Coco the Clownonomics, I really don't know. But it's even more important for us, I think, to consider realigning maybe our priorities with those of the early church that we read about here in this book of Acts. To become more like they were even to become counter-cultural as they did, becoming stronger as a community of brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul in Galatians said this, he said, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We can all belong to the family of God in Christ Jesus. So, in closing, and just to sum up very briefly, because of Jesus and what he did, and subsequently through the coming of the Holy Spirit, we can now enjoy a loving relationship with our awesome Father God. In fact, Jesus himself reminds us that his Spirit will be within and remain within each one of us. But then the Spirit is here too to strengthen and satisfy this need within us, if you will, for relationship with others, creating a sense of community and the support of each other within our lives. Let's just pray as we finish. Let's pray that God fills us all afresh this morning with his spirit, fills us to overflowing, as Paul says. Because of Jesus, the Spirit is here with us. He's here that we might have our deep longing for a relationship satisfied. Lord, may we know that with you we are never alone. Help us through your Spirit to be a loving community here at Trinity that gives and receives help and hope and healing towards one another and we pray that your church will be strengthened in our time in jesus name amen